Hillary has been lengthening her excuses as to why uh, she lost the election. She didn't really lose the election. It was stolen from her uh, by, I think it's up to 24 different excuses she has now. Number 24 is content farms in Macedonia. And uh, as I said, uh, my grandfather was a a Macedonian content farmer. And uh, we often think about, you know, gathering on the porch and recalling the old days on the Macedonian. I never thought, he never thought that the old content farmers he left behind in Macedonia would one day steal the U.S. presidential election. They are gnarled, hardworking Macedonian peasants. And the way they were able to reach out and uh, steal the election from a well-oiled machine. And by welcome Tom to the Macedonian is, Content Farmers podcast. Another exciting episode, episode 14. So much to talk about. Today, we are recording. Today is Saturday, February 16th, already already way past, halfway past the month. My name is Jason Miko. I am coming to you from the foot of the Catalina Mountains in Oro Valley, Arizona. And this is Tvetan Chalimanov. I'm calling in from Skopje, Macedonia. All right. Good to be with you again, Svetin. We uh, we had a little bit of a delay due to some technical issues on my end with my computer and whatnot. But I think before we go any further, I do. Uh, we just want to uh, bring up the um, recent bus bus crash in Macedonia and uh, offer up our, our prayers and thoughts for uh, the souls of the deceased, for the families and for their friends. Uh, you know, praying for the the, the, uh, the survivors that they would be healed, and, and of course for the first responders and the hospital workers and the doctors and the nurses, and just a horrible, horrible, uh, uh, tragic accident. Yeah, the death toll just went uh, up to 15 uh, this morning. There were there are a few more, which are critical, uh, and you know there were uh, family men, you know, ch- uh, p- uh, people with uh, with children, uh, mothers and fathers. There were. Uh, there were a few gra- grand grandmothers, grand grandfathers who were visiting their grandchildren in uh, Skopje. There were students. Uh, it was really a h- horrific thing. Yeah, you know, in, in Macedonia, it's, it's, it's faced so many tragedies, and we could name them. We could just sit here and spend the next hour naming all of the tragedies that have befallen Macedonia. And yet, the Macedonians are strong and resilient. The spirit, uh, the Macedonian spirit, continues. Uh, and, and Macedonians don't just survive, but they thrive. And this is something I've been saying for the nearly 24 years I've been in Macedonia. Uh, I want to see Macedonians thrive, not just survive. And this is a very difficult time um, for Macedonia with this so-called name change that the government has uh, instituted against the will of the people of Macedonia, against the Macedonians. And so now the uh, the government, I, I think the government's in a race with itself to see who can change uh, more websites and social media handles and social media pages uh, and signs and plaques uh, before the other ministry. It's uh, it's almost comedic. Yeah, well, we can count on them being both lazy and incompetent in this. And this is one one instance where I actually want them to be incompetent. The, uh, if you've seen the, they changed the... Uh, most visible elements it's the uh, boards when you enter Macedonia from a foreign country especially Greece uh, the government uh, put in if everybody assumed they're going to put in new boards which are going to say uh, going to use this new imposed name Republic of North Macedonia but actually they just uh, they didn't even bother to print a new board they just uh, uh, printed out um, final yeah, final sticker yeah I saw that yeah adhesive sticker <laughs> So it's going to be easy to stick on and stick off in f- for future reference. <laughs> well, well, 
Well, that and, of course, as we've been talking about, paint sales should be increasing. Um, I don't know what the availability of shotguns is in uh, the Republic of Macedonia. Here in the United States of America, we like to use shotguns on road signs. Difficult. We're a former totalitarian country. For me to just purchase my own shotgun, it, it actually included, uh, you know, listeners in the States might, might be interested in this. It actually includes a visit not by the regular police, but by the secret police. So they're looking into your into uh, your background uh, on a secret police level, uh, the equivalent, I guess, of the NSA level in uh, in the U.S. for ju- just for a 12 gauge and nothing more, a long barrel, not even a saw. You, you, you can get a sawed-off shotgun. So it's uh, extremely, uh, you know, it's one of the marks of a totalitarian country here. Uh, so there is not much culture in shooting at uh, signs. There is actually more 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 culture of shooting signs uh, with uh, machine guns because uh, especially in the Albanian rural parts of the country the Kalishnikov yeah they have AK47s everywhere so it's actually easier to get an AK47 than uh, if you're going to, uh, illegally than if you're going to the legal route to buy a a shotgun most popular uh, machine gun on planet earth is the AK47 the Kalishnikov um which reminds me, you know, the total aside here, uh, another one of my many projects that I want to see done in Macedonia is bringing the National Rifle Association to Macedonia, or if they can't actually establish a chapter there, then uh, friends of the National Rifle Association in Macedonia. But um, let's say we're talking about signs. We're, we're talking about how the government is in a race with itself to change everything. There is one holdout. God bless him, President Georgi Ivanov of the Republic of Macedonia. He is refusing to change his website. It still says President of the Republic of Macedonia. And uh, according to the so-called PRESPA agreement, it should have been changed the, the day or two ago. And this is going to be an interesting fight. I mean, obviously, he was never going to do this. Uh, he was opposed to the name change. He was opposed to the entire procedure that was going on. They tried to break him by uh, threatening Ivanov with uh, criminal charges against people close to him. Uh, and then ultimately, the entire Bondugal was uh, pushed through parliament without his signature which likes to make it very legal and which might be useful in future, depending on how uh, able we would be to reverse uh, this uh, this thing. And uh, for the other government institutions, they are largely changing the names, but uh, it's going to take an enormous amount of time. We're not going to give anybody any ideas, but we were just dis- talking with, uh, about this with Jason. We were checking up some websites or... Uh, uh, you know, pages online, which, you know, the, the use of the name was so entrenched over the decades. And, and the problem with the Greeks was that they were not using the name Macedonia for their state. Uh, so basically, they were not countering uh, proactively. They, were, they would tell us, don't use the name, but they were not using it themselves. So if you just Google Macedonia for uh, literally anything, there are so many articles active and uh, ongoing websites that it's... Uh, I was just teasing some uh, Azav supporter online who um, supports everything that's going on, but he still uses Republic uh, Macedonia, Macedonia, and Republic of Macedonia in a bunch of things he's doing. So it's it's going to it's impossible. It's undoable, honestly. We can just slap on something temporarily, but it's not going to stick. Yeah, and of course, you know, as you mentioned that that, that Greece never did use Macedonia until uh, Macedonia. Uh, declared independence in 1991, 
Uh, and then, of course, they renamed their northern province. Uh, but on Twitter, it's been fascinating because before June, when the so-called press agreement was signed, mm -hmm. the Greeks were largely absent from the hashtag Macedonia thread. And uh, since then, they've been pretty active on it. My prediction is that after all this hubbubaloo, <laughs> I can't even say that. It's too early in the morning here. Dies down. After the brouhaha dies down. Um, the Greek trolls will will stop using it. They'll they'll lose interest. They'll go back to, you know, uh, whatever it is they do. They'll go back to taunting the uh, Turks. Um, and uh, but but still on on back on sorry on the uh, on the Twitter thing. This is fascinating just from a sociological standpoint. I think the I call it the ghettoization of Twitter. Uh, a case in point being Macedonia. It'll be interesting to see who uses hashtag North Macedonia and who uses. I know who's going to use hashtag Macedonia. It'll be interesting to see the, the think tanks, the academics, the elected officials, the unelected bureaucrats, media organizations, etc. If they use it at all, will they use hashtag North Macedonia or North hashtag Macedonia? Mm. Anyway, just again, from a purely sociological standpoint, it's going to be fascinating to watch what happens. But that leads me to my next point I, want to, I think we should talk about, and that is the creeping uh, use of the term North Macedonian mm. to describe the Macedonians. And we're seeing this pop up. Um, I don't know if it's going to take hold or not. Uh, I think it's too early. But we are seeing it pop up here and there. And uh, I don't know what, what you're seeing. And, and you're, you're following several different languages besides the English language. Um, what, do you, what do you hear over there? Well, I mean, yeah, we discussed this that the German uh, version will be the worst for us. Uh, because it's Nord Macedonian, but uh, otherwise I don't really see anybody coming up with a uh, adjective North Macedonian for the people. They will definitely use it for the state, for government, for state institutions, uh, internationally. But I doubt anybody would say North Macedonian for the language or the people. But I see people trying to actively avoid using the adjective. Even some suckups like my former colleagues in uh, the MIA, the State News Agency of Macedonia, they're trying. One of those who want to show themselves to be um, bigger Catholics than the Pope, as we would say here. Uh, they're, they're actively avoiding using the, the word Macedonian. They just off, off North Macedonia. Everything is now off, uh, belongs to North Macedonia, comes from North Macedonia. Obviously, I would, I'm going to continue using hashtag Macedonia for everything. And Macedonian, we're just going to ignore. Uh, right. Yes, they do. And, and, I, and I know the Greeks, and, I'm, and, and I got a couple of examples here. The Greeks... And we know that the Greeks are going to try and force the world to say North Macedonian mm. because they tried to get the world to say Phyromian or Scopian or something other than Macedonian prior to this. And so they're going to try it. It's going to be a battle of wills. Um, I see here, so the former foreign minister, uh, Dora Bakoyana, uh, says, um, let's see uh, she, she's, what she said. I will not call its prime minister, quote, Macedonian. Mm. I will call Zayev or the next prime minister, the prime minister of North Macedonia, quote unquote. Tom Ellis, who is the uh, editor of the English language version of the Greek daily uh, Katamarini, uh, says uh, common sense dictates that they be called, quote, North Macedonians, unquote. So, and, and I think we can just go through all of the Greek examples. We know that that's what they're going to do. They're going to push that to try and get folks to say North Macedonian. But to your point about uh, your colleague, your former colleagues at MIA, um, trying to avoid saying Macedonian, uh, is what that's all about. And and we saw it prior to Prespa, and it's just going to continue, meaning nothing's been solved. 
Yeah, uh, we're going to have this fight. Uh, hopefully, as Nikola Gruevsky said in one of his several interviews uh, over the past week, uh, under more favorable terms to us uh, from, from inside these institutions. But ideally, we would never have done any of this and uh, we would have uh, remained Republic of Macedonia and we would have fought to defend this position, not try to recapture the hill once we lost it. Although, even though we might be theoretically, uh, you know, uh, a NATO member of some stature in a, in a short while and maybe begin some sort of EU accession talks, uh, which might last forever. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is, um, it's, it's not uh, resolved. On one hand, the Greeks, I imagine they will get lazy as well. They're not the most efficient and dedicated people. They, they, it was easy for them to block this issue, but they're not going to pick up and use the flag and the mantle of uh, Macedonia because they don't feel like Macedonians, they feel like Greeks. This is a huge part of the problem we're having with them uh, because they're, they're not using it, but they don't want to let us use it as, uh, on the other hand. Uh, so I don't see them actively campaigning to, um, to get a hold of the name and the adjective because they are not accustomed to using it. It, it means very little to them. It was imposed on them recently, as you said, when Macedonia was beginning to declare its independence and uh, 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 extreme nationalism uh, was the response uh, in Greece. So we'll, we'll have this fight uh, in uh, the institutions. So far, you know, Zaev is right now in Munich. He's being lauded by uh, Angela Merkel and the likes of her. And um, he, went, didn't he, he went to pick up his uh, 30 pieces of silver, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, I imagine it's, it was much more, there was talk of uh, a mole in Switzerland and, uh, you know, his, uh, his people are taking over some companies about which the SDSM people and USAID-funded media here were protesting and saying, this company is run by the Grevsky regime, They're horrib that's horrible, this is corruption of the highest order. And now uh, Zayev's people are taking over the same companies. Literally yesterday it happened that his security chief is replacing people associated with Sasha Mialkov, Grevsky's security chief and cousin, in a, in a large Bitola company. So, you know, this is, uh, they're becoming, uh, this is becoming like a feudal uh, property of uh, Zaev, uh, much in the way in which Zaev and uh, the US government and USAID were previously uh, objecting that uh, Grevsky is acting, even though you cannot compare the two, because under Grevsky, um, as everybody is now mentioning at this convention going on right now in Struga, uh, the Vembera Convention, we were opening up a new factory every month, uh, which were major international companies, which you cannot blackmail or force. You know, Grievsky was laughing in the interviews. So what you're saying that I blackmail that I got this company from the United States to relocate here, and then they came here because they liked being blackmailed by me, or uh, that I was racketeering them. It's it's preposterous, but uh, we are actually having this type of uh, developments right now. What they were claiming they're, they're fighting against, it's actually happening under the SDSM uh, rule. And nobody bats an eye, things are, you know, um, going on as usual. But this will last so long as these governments are in office. The Greek government is out, should be out in half a year uh, at the most. And afterwards we have... Uh, Probably by uh, May. Yeah, we have the conservatives taking over. The backlash is going to happen in Macedonia as well. Zayev refused to allow holding early general elections. So in April and early May, we vote for a new president. 
So we see whether the backlash begins here or at the next general elections, which should also come. Well, four years would be November, uh, sorry, December of 16, so that'd be December of 2020. Yeah, but uh, everybody if, if we went, it's going to be yeah, sooner. Than if that. we went four years, yeah. No, it'll be before that. Well, you know, you just brought up a couple of points, um, and again, we've got so much to talk about that um, let's, let's, I want to tackle kind of looking at what's going on in Macedonia with both the Anti-Corruption Commission and this rumor that Citizen and Dewey want to abolish the Special Prosecutor's mm -hmm. Office because now actually uh, there's, there's, you know, we, we know that the Special Prosecutor's Office has, has, has had, for instance, Bujar Osmani in, in their sights for some time, uh, but it's all been downplayed. But um, the Anti-Corruption Commission, I saw a news item uh, the other day uh, where the uh, Anti-Corruption Commission is going to be investigating Citizen or Dewey or itself. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, one of the best moments <laughs> is that uh, the brother-in-law of uh, the Dewey-appointed Speaker of Parliament, unlawfully appointed Speaker of Parliament, Talat Jafiri, is now a member of the Anti-Corruption Commission, and he will be investigating Talat Jafiri's uh, daughter. So he's her what now? Her uncle? Uh because she was hired in a government-run uh, uh, institution, and she's just one of like the dozens of people who were hired by uh, uh, government institutions. Uh, these are uh, close relatives of government officials. So uh, the minister for the economy hired his sister in a government-run company. The several SDSM members of parliament hired their uh, brothers, sisters, whatever, in uh, public institutions. And the best of these is obviously uh, an SDSM member of parliament, who comes from Delchova, which is like at the furthest eastern part. Oh yeah, right part, on the border. Yeah, of the country. And she collected 12,000 euros for uh, travel expenses to Skopje and back from the parliament, uh, uh, which is almost, you know, you can rent like six or seven apartments in Skopje with that type of money. You do not have to travel all the time. Uh, then she, uh, she, she, her name is Mira, uh, and she's now nicknamed Mira Diesel because of this. <laughs> and, and then she, she uh, applied for heating subsidies in Delchovo, even though, judging by her travels to Skopje, she's more traveling to Skopje, she's spending more time in her car than uh, in Delchovo if you take her expenses at face value. But then her husband also applied, and a couple of relatives also applied. Uh, and they all live like in the same house or adjacent, so they're like collecting several uh, types, several uh, separate subsidies for heating one same house. And then eventually she had her son hired uh, in a government company, her brother, and now her husband. So, wow. <laughs> so this is the type of uh, uh, things we're dealing with here. And uh, it's become a big issue, honestly. Uh, almost as big as the name change. Yeah, well, you, you've got the, the uh, rapidly increasing deluge of uh, information uh, on corruption within Citizen Dewey. Everybody's known this uh, for as long as, uh, you know, as long as these parties have existed. Uh, so you've got that. You've got the fact that Macedonia is creeping towards NATO membership, although, you know, could be the end of the year and whatnot. Uh, Zayev and continues to insist that this is going to bring in all kinds of huge amounts of uh, uh, foreign investment, um, but that's not true because, as we mm. talked about in the last podcast, the one before that, foreign investors look at more than just the fact that you are or are about to become a member of NATO. They look at things like levels of corruption, um, 
you know, crime and violence. And frankly, that's something we haven't even talked about. I know that in the past couple of weeks, there have been a number of incidents in Macedonia of actual uh, criminal activity with guns and, and RPGs, I believe. Um, fortunately, I don't think anybody's been hurt. But in all of my years of living in and working with Macedonia, aside from 2001 and Kumanovo and things like that, uh, which were... Um, you know, designed to split the country in half. Uh, you know, crime with guns that belongs to the, our Bulgarian friends. They're notorious for killing their oligarchs and then never solving issues. Uh, at least we don't have that level of criminality, uh, uh, wanton criminality in Macedonia yet. Uh, I hope we, hopefully, we never do. But going back to what I was talking about, foreign direct investment. Investors look at that stuff. Besides the corruption, they look at the criminality and um, a whole bunch of other factors. So Zayev isn't going to be getting the 300 million euros that he thinks are going to come in in addition to everything else just from NATO membership. And the people are going to see that. They're going to see the corruption. They're going to see the fact that living standards aren't going up. And they're going to look at and, – and, and then we, we've said nothing about EU enlargement yet. And that comes up, I think, in what, May or June. Well, after it must be June after the, uh, the EU uh, elections whether or not France and the Netherlands and others are going to say no again to Macedonia and Albania. Uh, so he's not going to get the boost that he's hoping for from having gone through this entire process of cha changing Macedonia's name, constitution, identity, culture, heritage, language, everything. Well, yeah, I mean, he was talking about uh, uh, he announced he'll bring Volkswagen in Macedonia to open a major new company, but uh, he also mentioned... Google and Facebook <laughs> coming into the country. Nobody's taking this, this stuff at face value. Um, well, um, maybe Amazon, since Amazon is not going to have their, uh, those, those 25,000 jobs in New York City, um, maybe he can bring them over to Macedonia. We're available. We can, we can do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, not even, I mean, nobody's, I, I've yet to find somebody who takes these things seriously or at, at face value. One of his uh, business promoters he hired to replace the really excellent, um, oftentimes American Macedonian business promoters, which Grevsky brought here, uh, duped somehow to come into this godforsaken hellhole from the United States and try to bring some companies here. So one, one of the guys, Zayev, had he, he became famous by posting on Facebook uh, that he's offering jobs for people in Germany, like. Uh, <laughs> Uh, painters and uh, drywall installers. <laughs> so, you know, no, not even his business promoters are, are taking seriously the chances that they're going to open some uh, businesses in here. They've largely um, kicked out some investors, just like Acacio Cortez did to Amazon. They, they uh, stopped a major copper mine which was supposed to be built. And then Zaev was booed on the stage like a few days ago when he visited a village in his neighborhood in, around Strumica, which is also a huge copper mine negotiated by Grevsky, was supposed to be built there. And all these leftists which Zaev funded and USAID funded to protest against Grevsky, accusing him of tr deliberately trying to poison the villagers of the most fertile valley in the country with cyanide, no matter that all the villagers have moved on to Italy because they have no jobs. So... Uh, they were trying to block this this deal, uh, which was like half a billion. It was like a huge amount of money in investments. We 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 barely have that much in infrastructure, which the government is borrowing to build, ongoing. And this was a private company which was going to pour this money uh, privately into into a, 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 a copper mine. So um, Zayev's lefty and green protesters tried to stop this. Once Zayev formed the government, we were all chuckling because we knew that 
uh, the days come that he's going to have to go against his crazy greens because he would definitely be interested in a different type of green uh, after his prime minister. <laughs> but now he has to go there and he meets the villagers and he's booed on stage. So he's also at the same time trying to literally, in this case, actually trying to racketeer these businesses because he organized protests, tried to kick them out of the country. Now he wants to keep them here after presumably having come to some sort of an arrangement with these investors, but he was booed on stage by the people. I'm not sure whether they were booing him because they wanted the jobs or because they think he will now really uh, skirt environmental regulations uh, knowing him. He, he's not the, the, the most trustworthy person, unlike Gruevsky. You don't say. But, but, but either way, this he's putting himself in a position that... Uh, Things are going to be go, go badly for him personally, and especially. I'm not going to even discuss his the business prospects, the economic prospects of the country under him. It's it's ridiculous. So, would you say then that he is preparing himself, kind of like um, our old friend Branko Savinkovsky prepared himself for the eventual day when he knew he wouldn't be in power, but he basically raped the country so that he could have all this money uh, to see him through to his old age. Uh, that's what Bronco did, and that sounds like that's what Zayev is, is attempting to do. Well, it's presumed he already has enough to flee the country, unless, you know, uh, I'm not sure if it's enough for actively fighting extradition charges or, uh, you know, if things go sour against him, uh, how, how much he could count on the protection of the people who brought, them, brought him into power, these U.S. diplomats and European Union diplomats, to what extent will they be able to protect him once he eventually has to leave the country. He, he has a long uh, uh, record of uh, corruption and crimes behind him, so uh, it would... And, and now he's actively adding to this, like in this case, which I mentioned, uh, about the hostile t- takeover of a company which he himself declared to be corrupt and connected with the government, but he now does not want to investigate this. Uh, he does not want to get to the bottom of the thing. He wants to take over the company with his own people, which is... Um, this is, I don't see this ending, ending well. It's, yeah, it's going to be interesting. So we know that, that Zayev and Tsipras have been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize, which of course has become a joke in and of itself after they nominated Barack Obama, who then went on to bomb several countries. But that's another subject. Um, you know, one, they've, so they've nominated him and, you know, look, it's going to take time. Uh, several years down the road, I don't know if it's several years, five years, ten years, at some point, all of his crimes are going to be exposed, and it's going to be more egg on the face of the, uh, the so-called Nobel uh, uh, Peace Committee, um, which, which uh, a slight diversion here. I, I just want to, you know, and this is a an attribute of our society today in Western civilization is that it's it's the immediacy of everything, and we expect we become a culture that paces in front of the microwave because it doesn't work fast mm-hmm. enough, and so. We're looking at all of these events and, you know, just taking how the, the praise has been heaped upon Zayev for achieving, quote, peace and reconciliation, unquote. When the facts, you know, the Prespa, so-called Prespa agreement is still warm. It's not even cold. And we don't know what's going to happen down the road. And yet all of these idiots are trying to heap praise. They're trying to beat each other to the punch on Twitter and other uh, social media platforms to praise Zayev and Cyprus uh, so that they can be seen as acknowledging this and praising them 
when you and I and most thinking people know full well this thing isn't going to work. Yeah, yeah, it's not. I mean, I can understand that they've been starved for good news for their team after, you know, uh, losing Turkey, the thing that's happening in Ukraine, uh, relations with Russia, uh, all sorts of elections throughout Europe from Italy and uh, Hungary and Poland and elsewhere, barely, you know, narrowly avoiding disaster in France and only to have the latest protests and Brexit and then Trump. And, but it's ridiculous to say that, well, okay, but we won in Macedonia. Okay, great. Good work, guys. You chalk one up for the team. Like our, our U.S. ambassador, uh, he was in Turkey during the, uh, the coup against Erdogan. And uh, what's been happening afterwards, uh, everybody in Turkey considers the United States as being behind the Gezi protests, which led to the coup. So, you know, you lose out in an 8, $8 million country and a huge NATO member, second NATO military after the U.S., but then you come to Macedonia, and there you score a win. Right. Like, Jesus. Well, actually, Jesus. yeah, and we haven't, that's Jesse. Jesse's uh, actually retiring next month. He's, he's not just leaving Macedonia, but he's retiring from the Foreign Service completely, even though I think he's eligible, he's young enough to, uh, he could go on to another position if he wanted it, but I don't think, A, he doesn't want it, or B, the State Department doesn't want him to have another position because of his record. Yeah, retiring from the U.S. Embassy in Macedonia have become really an epidemic here. His uh, political officer, David Stevenson, he retired from the State Department and he's much younger than him. Uh, after twisting arms and blackmailing people and uh, uh, pushing us along this way. And now, as soon as he retired, he opened up a, a company with Zayev's lawyer, Philip Medarsky. You know, oh my goodness. Which, you know, no Macedonian can take the U.S., seriously as an honest broker ever again. I mean, this is an epic disaster. Even now we have allegations, uh, you know, the Interior Ministry is saying yesterday that they scooped up 20 uh, ISIS terrorists who were allegedly planning attacks in Macedonia. And the U.S. Embassy comes out and says, yes, we have, we're warning American citizens uh, about this, you know, which is a routine warning they're going to give. And, and everybody on social media is like, oh, right, yes, here we go again. They're doing it again. Because they've seen the U.S. diplomats here uh, lying that they care about the rule of law, that they care about, uh, you know, which company is run by a political party or who is appointed somewhere or which media outlet is close to, if, if a media outlet is fair and balanced enough. They were actually campaigning on these things, both the U.S. diplomats here and the media outlets they fund and the politicians close to them. And then once the name change is done, they don't care about uh, uh, how we got there. They don't care about, about who owns these companies. They don't care about changes in editorial policies of media outlets. They don't care about political prisoners, nothing. And then nobody believes them. And even if there actually is an honest-to-God ISIS cell operating here, and even if there was the most honest intentions on everybody involved, Zayev's interior minister and Jess Bailey's team there, nobody believes them. Whatever happens, it's going to be another conspiracy theory, another ruse, another trick. Uh, Zayev's uh, advisor until, until recently, Rubin Zemon, now member of parliament from SDSM, was on Facebook uh, saying that Russia, uh, Russian agents uh, literally cut the lines of the bus, uh, which crashed with 15 dead because he wanted, because uh, things were going so well for Macedonia. He, he said a foreign intelligence service and the uh, on-call anti-NATO commentators 
they were conspiring to, to make this happen. That's, what? And, and then the next day they say, oh, we, we actually caught some ISIS people. How, how can I believe you now? You're, you're peddling deranged uh, conspiracy theories one day, and the next day you actually have, you know, you're the shepherd who cried wolf. Now you actually have a problem. Nobody's going to believe you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, again, this is something that we've, we've continued to talk about, continue to write about. Uh, and and we will continue it in, in you know as long as the West exists. Uh, the institution, the concept of democracy, and the institutions of democracy, uh, the reputations of the European Union, NATO, the United States have all been severely damaged because of this process over the past three years, and because of the support of the EU, the West, and uh, the U.S. and NATO for uh, the, the the way that this whole thing has has happened. Um, I don't know if that's uh, I, I think it's irreparable damage. I don't know if it can be repaired or not. No, no, it's finished. Well, um, you know, a minute ago, and I'm just checking the time here and whatnot, and um, I'm actually going on a hike in these mountains I always talk about uh, later on this morning. So um, we mentioned the presidential race briefly. It is today again is Saturday, February 16. By the time we actually get this thing in the can and out to uh, – our uh, our uh, tens of tens of listeners, um, the uh, Vumro will have chosen its presidential candidate because you mentioned their meeting in Struga. Uh, yes, uh, the convention is there. Uh, it's tonight. Yes, it's ongoing. They made their speeches. The leading candidates are uh, Vladko Djurcev and uh, Gordana Siljanovska, and both uh, are critics and opponents of the Prespa deal. Both, uh, uh, you know, they approach it differently. On one hand, Siljanovska is approaching it from a legalistic point of view. She wrote like this ex ex extensive analysis on where it goes wrong, and it really is. <laughs> it goes wrong in a lot of places, <laughs> in, in a lot of issues. Uh, and then uh, Georgev is a more practical uh, pract uh, practitioner. He went uh, to D.C. for the prayer breakfast. He met their uh, conservative commentators like Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity. He met, yeah. uh, he met Mike Pompeo and uh, you know people from the Trump team. So his pitch is that he would be a different type of uh, uh, practitioner of politics should he be elected. Uh, but uh, you know, a lot of damage has been done and uh, uh, people are really angry and uh, all of this would take time to repair and it's uncertain whether people have uh, patience to wait for this to, to be repaired. Well, this goes back to, uh, you mentioned uh, that Vladko was, was at the prayer breakfast recently meeting with conservative personalities, Mike Pompeo, etc. And, you know, I, I think it's important to bring up a, a point, especially to our friends in the Boykatiram movement. And we were both Boykatiram. But there are some folks that say, well, he shouldn't be having those relationships because these people, you know, Mike Pompeo, etc., uh, you know, force this name change. And that's true. But you, you got to be honest. Look, you, you have to have these relationships even with uh, these people that, that did this this evil to Macedonia, you've got to have the re these relationships. Mike Pompeo is the secretary of the United States, secretary of state of the United States of America. Uh, it's important to have these relationships to tell your side of the story, even though. And look, Mike Pompeo doesn't even know where Macedonia is. He doesn't know the intricacies of the whole thing. He does. He didn't read the press book. I mean, he doesn't know any of this stuff. Mm. Uh, so it's important to, to get this information out to him and to people under him, if not for now, then for the future. Uh, and so I know Vlatko has been criticized for that, but you know, those are absolutely necessary relationships. He's right on that. 
it's interesting that we're talking about this now because in about 10 days, uh, we uh, remember uh, the 15th anniversary of the death of President uh, Boris Tchaikovsky, Macedonia's second president and eight of his colleagues on that, uh, in that tragic crash uh, over Bosnia-Herzegovina. Uh, and Boris was very much in that mold. He, he had these excellent relationships with, with uh, elected leaders and others in the United States and the European Union and around the world. I mean, I remember he spent three hours with Vladimir Putin uh, in Moscow uh, talking about who knows what. I mean, I actually know some of the things they talked about, but I'm still sworn to secrecy on that. But um, these relationships are important. Uh, and so, you know, we've got to maintain those. I don't know about the other candidate, what her relationships are with, with foreigners and whatnot. And I know that she was formerly citizen, I believe. Um, but anyway, all that to say, uh, by the time this thing is in the can and out to the public's, uh, we'll know who the Vumero candidate is. The citizen candidate will be chosen, I think, in early March. Mm -hmm. And then we're off to the races. Yeah, uh, there, there is visible uh, divisions in SDSM between the different camps. They have like three distinct camps, the rural camp around Zaev and Oliver Spasovsky, the Skopje urban elite camp, which is, you know, Shekerinska and, uh, you know, the old... People who really, even openly to his face, looked down on Zaev. Uh, there were some hilarious interviews about him in the past when they would tell him that they consider him to be a silak, which is yes. a very pejorative word we use for a, a peasant, a, a villager. And then there is the, the new uh, third plank of their tripod, the Albanian voters around uh, Muhammad Zakiri, and, uh, you know, drummed up by the U.S. Embassy here. So there is going to be infighting over this. There is clearly going to be an issue... Uh, over uh, who gets to be the president and in which way the losing camps will be uh, compensated uh, by the winning camp. One way to do this is early elections. Some in the Skopje wing of ASDSM are actually actively demanding early elections, hoping that even if uh, uh, they get they win even less votes than before, but they could, uh, due to you know public outrage at them, but they would be able to negotiate a b better deal to reduce the number of Zavs, rural members of parliament, and get more Skopjaners. Even, you know, some of, many of the stories we get here, it's actually happened before, uh, these stories about nepotism in SDSM, they usually come from SDSM. It's not uh, Vimera people doing investigative reporting. They're, they're spying on, on themselves in good communist fashion. Wow. Fashion. Hey, yeah. Wow. Good. Well, we will, um, by the time we talk again next week and do the, the, the next podcast, um, well, this will be all firmed up a little bit more, and, and we'll know where we're going. Well, I think I'm looking at the clock. I think it's time for our farmer's picks. So, Sutton, my farmer's pick this week um, is a bit of a lead-in to it, so bear with me. You know, I've long said that the Western elites are going to drop Zayev and most of the people around him once this whole name uh, change business is accomplished. Uh, they still need him for a little bit longer, but we can expect to see that they will be distancing themselves from him going forward, along with, again, most of the people around him. Um, look, let's be honest, they view him as nothing more than a provincial yokel, uh, a scam artist, and in all likelihood, they probably laugh at him. And again, this applies to most of the folks around him, with the exception, I'm going to bring up two exceptions, Nikola Dimitrov and Radmila Shekaninska. They view Nikola as polished, urbane, one of them. He speaks their language. He doesn't believe in anything other than himself. And he totally accepts their agenda. I think I think they've got plans for him. 
but with respect to Radmila, I think the jury's still out. Uh, and I recall, and this is something, good piece of information that our listeners probably don't know anything about. Um, but, you know, years ago, 15 years ago, the Western elites viewed her as, as one who could be groomed. And we know that this is something that the embassies in Macedonia, the foreign embassies in Macedonia do, is they, they find people and they groom them. Uh, our friend um, Sasha Uzanov from Australia mm-hmm. has identified the Dutch embassy as being big with the Albanian crowd and picking mm-hmm. out those folks and grooming them. But in 2007, here's the information. This, this is my farmer's pick. In 2007, Radmila Shekarenska received a scholarship worth tens of thousands of American dollars. Uh, and they sent her to the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy at Tufts University, where she received her uh, degree, a Grand Master of the Arts. And, uh, you know, that is just one example of the extent to which the Western elites will groom certain identified individuals in Macedonia. And it's funny, they all happen to be on the political left or from the Albanian parties. Uh, but, uh, and I hate to pile, I hate to pile on, um, on, on my country and, and the Western elites uh, and, and in talking about the damage that's been done to our reputation, but they could change their ways. Uh, and they, if they're going to, if they're going to groom folks, uh, they could at least identify uh, folks on the right and allow them to advance with their own philosophy and uh, critical thinking intact. That is my farmer's pick, Radmila Shekaninska in 2007, receiving a scholarship worth tens of thousands of American dollars to go to the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy at Tufts. Yeah, money well spent. They actually can't groom people on the right because people on the right, if understood correctly, you know, uh, right, right-wing ideology, they would fight to limit the excesses of those in power, especially those in Brussels. So uh, it, it's not going to work for them. <laughs> We we actually yeah excellent. We're seeing a depressing development right now. Vomero is working with uh, NDI to uh, you know uh, polish their messaging and, and the Democrats. Yeah, but NDI, the National Democrat Institute. Exactly, but then uh, and you know my first reaction was much like yours, like what? But then you you think and and you look at the, some of the stuff IRI people are seeing. You know this current batch of IRI people, and you say well. You know, what's, what's the difference at, uh, at this point between the two of them? They're both uh, DC creatures while uh, you, you have to go, you know, elsewhere to look for real right-wing values, I guess. True, yeah. Hey, what's your farmer's Yeah, I'm going to go with a, a book by a Greek uh, scholar uh, from the States, actually, uh, Haris Milonas. Uh, and uh, the book is called The Politics of Nation Building. And it's an interesting, uh, interesting uh, bit. Uh, he actually explains. Uh, he goes into the forbidden territory for a Greek uh, commentator and um, scholar. Many have gone. Uh, some, some have gone there. Not few have returned. <laughs> Many have faced problems and had to flee the country. In some instances, uh, again, looking into how the Greek nation myth was created in the uh, 19th century, uh, early 20th century. And he, he's not afraid, not ashamed to acknowledge that there were Macedonians living in uh, northern Greece or Aegean, Macedonia, and that they were homogenized, in, as he would say, or uh, forcibly uh, Hellenized, uh, as we would say, uh, into a Greek identity. Many were expelled uh, due to war and due to open hostility by the Greek government. Uh, many were replaced by uh, 
Greeks uh, expelled from in their own right from uh, modern day Turkey. But you know, he acknowledges to the Greek reader, which is the only reader who would need educating in this regard and schooling in this regard, that uh, Macedonia is a region, what, uh, you know, the 50% which Greece captured as early as uh, just a little over 100 years ago, in 1912, was not ethnically Greek, was not homogenically Greek. It was uh, even majority Macedonian, uh, and it had a lot of Turks and uh, Roma and uh, Jews living in uh, Solon, and yes, Greeks in the southern uh, parts, but uh, it was um, not homogeneously Greek. And saying something to a Greek now, especially at this high point for their triumph over Macedonia, would be anatomy. This is why I would like to just throw it out there and uh, maybe somebody picks it up. That's great. Yeah, make sure we get that in the show notes. Definitely. Well, great. Um, we're running long. Um, yeah. This has been a full podcast, as always. Uh, and, uh, well, look forward to talking to you again next yeah, week. I think we covered ISIS, we covered uh, Greeks, we covered uh, everything under the sun. <laughs> we'll... Uh, but let's leave, leave something for the for the uh, for the next episode. Absolutely, great. All right. Oh, as always, great talking to you. You too. Take care, buddy.